News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, we know the Pope is visiting Canada right now. In fact, he is in Alberta this morning. The open-air mass is going to be taking place. But it was really quite significant yesterday when we heard an apology for the Catholic Church's role in residential schools. The Pope saying many Christians supported that colonization of Indigenous people, and he apologized for that. So how is this visit going over, and what is happening today? Well, joining us now is Aaron Chalmers, Global News anchor, who is covering this story. Aaron, thanks for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thanks for having me. So how has it been going so far? What's the kind of reception that the Pope is getting? Uh, It's definitely mixed, which I I think was to be expected. Some people have been waiting. I mean, all people have been waiting a long time, Indigenous people, residential school survivors, for the Pope to come here to Canada on Canadian soil and issue that apology. But of course, that isn't going to be enough for a lot of people. Um, So this is just the beginning, the beginning of healing, the beginning of reconciliation. And that will continue this morning uh, here at Commonwealth Stadium. About 65,000 people are expected to attend an open-air mass here with the Pope. Uh, He will again address residential schools and the Catholic Church's role in that um, to, yeah, 65,000 people, a number of Catholics that have come here to see the Pope. It's significant, uh, too, we should mention that He's having the Mass today because he did arrive in our city on Sunday, but it was important for him to take that day to rest, to gain his strength for that trip to Muscochis on Monday. And it shows the importance of why he's here, because that is his priority. It's not this open-air Mass. His priority was to go to Muscochis to meet with the Indigenous peoples on their traditional lands and offer that apology. Right, because yesterday was the more unusual itinerary, right? Today, the open-air mass, that's something that we normally see the Pope do when he goes on these visits. Exactly, and that's, you know, this is more for all Catholics to be a part of, whereas yesterday was really focused on the Pope's main reason for coming here to Canada, and it was done in Muscochis because that is where the Ermanskin Indian Residential School was located. It's one of the largest residential schools in Canada, so that is why the Pope uh, decided to go to that location. You know, nearly 150,000 Indigenous children were forced into residential schools. They, there was cultural destruction. Uh, it led to intergenerational trauma. Um, so it was important that the Pope be on Canadian soil and be there mm-hmm. in Musquachis to issue that apology and beg for, for, for forgiveness. Was There must have been, Aaron, so much emotion, you know, there and surrounding the event. It did seem that way. Even watching it the way I watched it on TV, it seemed like quite an emotional event. Was that the case? Yes. Uh, there's no question. It was, it was extremely emotional. Um, some, you know, filled with happiness to final, finally hear those words. Um, others, of course, anger. Uh, an apology only goes so far. It, it can't erase history. And... Um, as I mentioned, I mean, there, these children were ripped from their homes. Their identity was, was taken away from them. So uh, I think it was uh, a very important first step, but it is only a first step. There is still a lot of, a lot of healing that is needed. Okay, because if you tell me about this event this morning, then what's going on with this open-air mass? So, um, yeah, the Pope will come here uh, this morning. Again, about 65,000 people expected in attendance. 
Uh, they specifically held off tickets uh, for Indigenous peoples, for residential school survivors, to ensure that they will be here in the stands for this service. He will also uh, visit Clark Field, which is uh, right by Commonwealth Stadium here in Edmonton, where another around 5,000 people will be in attendance. Following uh, this morning's open-air mass, he will then head to Lac St. Anne for a pilgrimage there. And then tomorrow morning, he leaves to Quebec City, uh, his final stop then in Iqaluit before heading back to Rome. Busy schedule. All right. Thank you so much for telling us about it this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's Aaron Chalmers, Global News anchor, talking about the mass that's going to be underway this morning. Uh, this is Pope Francis holding an open-air mass at Commonwealth Stadium, about 65,000 people. And as Aaron mentioned there, now the tickets were free, but they did kind of release them in three blocks, making sure that they had reserved seating for uh, people, especially for the reason why the Pope is here, to make sure Indigenous leaders, uh, residential school survivors, and others are able to come to this open-air mass today. It starts oh, within a couple of hours here, too. It starts at around, I think, 9 o'clock our time, 9.15 our time, 10.15 uh, mountain time. And they are starting the process now of kind of opening those doors and getting people in. This is Mornings with Simi. We've been talking a lot about what happened in Langley, but let's go back a day or two before that to the shocking events that unfolded in Whistler. Two men died after a very public shooting right there in Whistler Village, and the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is now on the case there, too. And that was, you know, so shocking to people. Middle of the day, families out and about, packed Whistler Village, and to have this happen there, well, there's lots of questions about just what is going on in the gang war that it would get to this point. So, of course, we're going to ask the expert. Kim Bolin joins us now, crime reporter for the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Weren't you, like, trying to enjoy a nice weekend off when this happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been very, very violent of late and, you know, really, really sad. And I it think, uh, you know, you, you look at so many families that have been devastated by losing someone uh, to this gang war, uh, but also the general public. Like, you just don't know you know, when it's going to happen. And you might be up at Whistler, you know, enjoying a couple of days off yourself. I wasn't at Whistler, but was hoping to go hiking. And and, and then, you know, this kind of uh, violence breaks out around you, right? So it has a big impact on so many people. And, and this was a particularly brazen one. It really was. So what does that tell you about? What have you learned about what happened here? Well, I, obviously, I think that uh, Meninder Dollywell, who's a very high-profile person in the Brothers Keepers, and his friend, Sat Gill, who unfortunately, it happens to be a friend of the Dollywells, but does not appear to be involved in gangland per se, just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. Uh, they both got shot to death, as you said, at about 1219, uh, beside this hotel, right in the Whistler Village, tons of tourists and everyone around. You know, uh, they were being followed or tracked. You know, sometimes these guys put a tracker actually on the vehicle uh, so that they know exactly where they are at any given time, and uh, they wait for them. So, you know, it was organized to the point that they knew where the their target was. They managed to get their target. I believe Dollywell was the target. And then, like I said, that his friend uh, got killed because he was there. Uh, they didn't have a very good escape plan because, as many people have pointed out, there's really two roads exactly. out of Whistler. 
you know, and uh, they got caught within 36 minutes. So um, I understood that they were still wearing the same clothes. Yes, they stopped if they are, in fact, the people. We don't want to convict them. They haven't had a trial yet. Uh, but they, uh, you know, there was a getaway vehicle that was burned. And uh, then five people were in another car that was stopped with her 36 minutes later, if you can imagine. All five were taken into custody uh, my understanding is all five have links to the rival United Nations gang, and uh, two young men are now facing first-degree murder charges. Tanvir Kak, 20, no criminal record, 20 years old, very young, yeah. and uh, uh, a man named Ger Simran Sahota. And uh, Mr. Sahota was a very close friend of Carmen Graywall, who was shot to death last year in another very brazen shooting, the one at the airport you know, gunned down right. on the doorsteps of the airport. So it appears that this is, you know, unfortunately a fairly typical tit-for-tat slaying, uh, but, you know, not everyone uh, who was killed, and by that I mean Mr. Gill, was actually the target of the murders, right? So, mm. so here we go again. Fortunately, people have been arrested. That's really great news uh, that it happened so quickly. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're right, it's a location, which made me wonder, so what? how do you get to a point in a feud like this, in this in this kind of gang activity, where you take the risk of that, knowing that this, to get out of Whistler is so incredibly difficult? Does that tell us just how, how heightened, it almost seems sloppy, Kim, that this would happen? Yeah, I mean, clearly these are young guys, they're inexperienced guys. Uh, Sahota had a criminal record uh, for doing some robberies with uh, Carmen Graywall, his friend who was killed last year. So, you know, he's had some involvement with the criminal justice system, uh, CAC has not. So you've got to wonder what was going on in their minds. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a good thing. And honestly, they might have still gotten away. Look at the airport shooting. You know, there's only one road out of the airport, too. And police chased uh, the getaway vehicle in that case, and they started shooting at police. So, you know, they do have suspects in that case, although Minister um, Dollywall, as I understand it, was one of the suspects, and he's now dead, right? So they still have some other suspects in that case. Hopefully we'll see charges in that one laid, but it's very challenging to catch these suspects and even more challenging to get Crown to approve charges in these cases because you need a lot of evidence. Okay, so they, they made these arrests now. Does that change anything with arrests, Kim? Like, in your experience, having seen this when they're arrested, does that cool things down for a little bit? No, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, Menander Dollywall lost his brother in another high-profile gang hit last year that was part of the tit-for-tat, and that was the Harb Dollywall shooting in Cole Harbor on April 17th. You know, a, another very high-profile location, lots of beautiful restaurants down there, people out and about on the waterfront, and uh, a hitman, a professional hitman, opened fire and uh, killed... Menander Dollywall's brother. Uh, he has another brother, Berinder Dollywall, the last brother, uh, and he's uh, supposed to be very angry. He's very gang-involved. He, he dates all the way back to the Bacon brothers. used to be very close friends with the Bacons uh, going back 12, 13 years. So, uh, you know, there are more people out there that are now probably going to want to get some kind of revenge. But if you contrast what happened in Whistler, where you have these two very young guys, I mean, I was thinking about it, and uh, Sahota, one of the accused, was born in 1997. That's the year that the United Nations gang was founded. 
right? Wow. Yeah. Like the, that used to be a new gang, the UN gang, and now we we've got this whole second generation of kids, young people who are aligning themselves with this name that's been out there uh, for 24 years. And CAC, of course, 20 wasn't even there when the UN was founded, right? So unfortunately, the 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 roots in this conflict, they run deep, right? And uh, I, unfortunately, I, I really do think it's going to uh, continue on. Um, so hopefully there's no retaliation, but, you know, it would be uh, breaking a pattern. Oh, so I was going to say, yeah, mm-hmm. so these two guys are very young, and yet the person who killed Menindra Dollywell's brother in Cole Harbor last year was a hired hitman. Right, so that was a, a different caliber of killer, if you will, someone who supposedly was going to be very professional. He had a silencer, he had all the gear with him, and he escaped. But Meninder and his other brother, they chased him, and Meninder stabbed the guy in the eye and was a suspect in that case, but never got charged. And that fellow, uh, his name is Francois Gauthier, pleaded guilty last month in BC Supreme Court to second degree murder and is now doing a life sentence. But he never said who hired him. They don't have to to plead guilty, right? So we don't get all the information publicly that we'd like to get about, you know, who's behind some of these murders. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions for the public. But you, you made such a good point there when you talk about how the, the gang itself has now been around for 25 years. Uh, and you're getting a next generation here, but younger people. Also, so much more, it feels, it feels like they are more... I don't know, more brazen. They feel like there are fewer consequences. It's almost like they're like, no, we've been around. We're going to keep doing this. Well, on the other hand, Minder Dollywall is with the Brothers Keepers gang that hasn't been around that long, probably six or seven years maximum, right? So, you know, mm, I think true. it's brazen because we it's on the news right now. You know, if you look back to... 2007, 36, 2008, 2009, there were so many murders in crowded mall parking lots, again, outside of restaurants, uh, outside of grocery stores. Um, I think, unfortunately, that the whole nature of the way these guys behave is in itself brazen. They right. don't, you're right, they don't fear consequences. No. But I don't think that's necessarily a new phenomenon. Okay, so then what, what questions do you still have that you're looking into here? Well, I want to know more about the history of uh, the two young guys that have been caught. I want to know who else was in the vehicle because, you know, we have two people charged and first-degree murder, very serious charges, but there were also three other people uh, in the vehicle they were in who are still out there. They've been released from custody. Um, You know, clearly they knew what was going on, so why aren't they charged as accessories? um, And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm want to see what people are saying out there in terms of possible retaliation. Yes, that is unfortunate, right? You're so right about that. Uh, Kim, thank you. Anytime, Cindy. Yeah, appreciate that. Kim is the best. Is Kim Boland, crime reporter for the Vancouver Sun, and she is describing to us what is going on, what led to kind of that just awful shooting in Whistler on the weekend. So read her stories at VancouverSun.com, and of course she will keep us up to date too. We'll be right back. This is Mornings with Simi. This morning, the Pope will have an open-air Mass for about 65,000 people at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. That takes place in about an hour from now. And of course, this follows yesterday's historic events, where we saw live coverage of Pope Francis 
saying, I'm sorry, offering an apology for the residential school system in Canada. It was more thorough than apologies that we've heard and kind of seen in the past, but was it enough? Our Raji Sohal joins us now for more on that. Good morning, Raji. Hi, Simi. Yeah, I watched uh, the coverage of it, the live coverage of it. It was emotional. Lots of survivors were present to hear Pope Francis's words. And like you mentioned, there was previously the apology at the Vatican, but some people say, a lot of folks say, that wasn't a real apology. That was just this expression of sorrow. Um, And then what we had yesterday was, like you said, thorough. So lots of people, Indigenous and not, were happy that there was an apology at all this time, that there was a real apology. It was a big deal for the Pope to admit that colonization was horrific. But for a lot of Indigenous people, it wasn't enough. Chief Tony Alexis said it's not a real apology unless it turns into meaningful action. That, I guess, remains to be seen. We'll see what else unfolds in the next few days of the papal visit, but also down the road. Some people from the community said the apology needed to be more specific. It should have named atrocities um, and got down to details. And some said that the prepared statement from the Pope was too much of a blanket, uh, I'm sorry for everything type of thing, rather than talk about how the church literally sought to break First Nations children's spirits, break their spirit, their identity, their culture. I talked to Rachel Ann Snow. She's an Indigenous legal advocate, and she's also a member of the Nakota Sioux people. And she was one of the many, many Indigenous voices that was dissatisfied with the apology. It had to be a more detailed apology where he said, I, you know, standing in head of the Catholic Church or the Roman Catholic Church uh, with our global peoples, the same way he's able to read a structured letter out now uh, every single time he comes to the podium or every time he has the, the chance to speak he has a very structured uh, speech where he he's not speaking from his heart and we need to hear those words again from his heart unscripted saying uh, I take full responsibility for for the electric chair use on residential school children for the use of nutrition experiments sterilization of young Indian uh, indigenous girls I take full responsibility for those actions and I'm here to make reparations and I would like to um, put an action to this and possibly give, uh, assist the communities where we've caused harm for, you know, for the, for generations to come, knowing that what we've done has been genocide, has been a crime against humanity, knowing this and trying to make a better path forward. I would like to do this and I would like to do this in by first of all acknowledging your where your prayers by sitting in a pipe ceremony by smudging by undertaking to understand your spiritual path because that's what reconciliation is a give and take yeah simi reconciliation i think is she put it well there by saying it's a path um it's not a destination and i think that's something that all of us indigenous and non-indigenous canadians are learning about this path that we can walk together in fact that's what the papal visit is being uh it's it was branded as this thing walk together um and, and wouldn't it have been great i think if the pope did provide a more thorough specific statement but in my opinion, also, this was the first real apology, and I have the feeling it's one of many more to come, and I think it's the conversation starter. It wasn't perfect from the get-go, but it will probably provoke a lot of conversation to come that people will learn from.
have to say that the ceremony did not sit well with me. Mr. Little Child had a number of headdresses, therefore he is able to gift headdresses as he sees fit. The headdress itself belongs to the Plains First Nations. The, it was the, uh, my people, the Iahe or the Nakota Lakota Dakota, otherwise called Sioux people, who had the, who made headwear. And it's considered, you know, there's eagle feathers, a number of eagle feathers, which have different representations for different tribes, but there's a story and there's uh, sort of a, it's an, a lifetime achievement award to be able to wear that. It can't be just handed off like it's a cowboy hat. Mr. Little Child, if he was going to give it away as personal property, like a hat, he should have done that privately. Like as the Pope was walking out of the building, shake his hand, hand him the headdress. That's fine because that's his personal property. He wants to do that. Go ahead. But once you elevate it into a spectacle in front of a world audience with uh, drumming, your language, prayers and ceremony, then it becomes something different. And then it looks like an action of the people. So that's where I'm having an issue. We're again talking about an individual action that was done on behalf of the collective. And that is completely wrong. It doesn't sit well with our Indigenous laws. So that was Rachel Snow talking about how Honorary Chief Wilton Littlechild went on stage, placed the headdress, um, which is the highest honor for First Nations. He placed it on Pope Francis's head. Now, Chief Littlechild was one of the three Truth and Reconciliation Commissioners. So he he's heard firsthand thousands of survivors speak their truths at the TRC. So for him to have done that was a really big moon move. People were stunned by the gift, um, mm-hmm. but also a lot of people were insulted by it. Simi, there were uh, there's a lot of chatter about this and discussion about this on social media in, within Indigenous communities, saying. Uh, it wasn't the time, he hasn't earned it yet, and that reconciliation with the Pope's involvement needs to go way further before something like that is gifted on behalf of people. Also, I noticed there was some discussion as well about some of the other gifts that the Pope was given yesterday, that there were some people like from the Nishka Nation saying, well, wait a minute, where did that come from? So it's clear there are still, I think, a lot of issues here. So many issues. And I think uh, one of the reactions that I heard a lot from Indigenous peoples yesterday uh, to the gifts that were shared, the ceremonial stuff was just that this should have been done in consultation first with the groups of people that it's supposed to represent before it was just, you know, handed and shared with Pope Francis. And that uh, some of some of that was insulting for some First Nations because it was done almost in this rash, quick way when uh, they have their own ceremonies where they would normally uh, share gifts. And those ceremonies didn't take place. This was uh, an event that was organized um, by people that were First Nations that were not at the table to talk about how the ceremony would play out. Uh, and so a lot of mixed feelings there. I'm so curious to see how things will unfold over the next several days of the visit. Will we get, uh, will we hear more meaningful, thorough reaction to the apology from outside of the Indigenous community too? Will this spark conversation and discussion in mainstream Canada? Lots of good questions there. Raji, thank you. Thanks, Simi. That is our Raji Sohal there talking about the the impact, really, of the Pope's visit here in Canada. And there are mixed emotions with it, right? Some people say, okay, the apology was good. Others say, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And 
that's those are all things that I think are still going to have to be dealt with. As of this morning, though, I should mention Pope Francis is in Edmonton. There, he's doing something that you normally see more of on a, a tour when a pope comes to a country to visit. That is an open air mass. Sixty five thousand people are expected to be at Commonwealth Stadium this morning. The mass begins at nine fifteen our time this morning, uh, and attendees are already starting to arrive and uh, we will have coverage of that. You can check it out online at globalnews.ca or cknw.com. And so this is just one more aspect of this visit that is happening. So from this time in Alberta, he is going to have one more visit, I believe, today to lac saint uh, There's a large pilgrimage that takes place there every year, but then he goes on uh, tomorrow to Quebec City where he will meet with the Prime Minister and the Governor-General. He'll have private meetings there, then have a public address in Quebec City, and then uh, will continue on to Iqaluit uh, for a visit to that community. So lots more still to come on this visit, but it's already clearly having a lot, generating a lot of discussion, right? A lot of impact on that. This is Mornings with Simi. All right, let's break down this weather forecast, what we can expect over the next few days, what you need to know, and also what, what's happening. Is this out of the range of normal temperatures? Well, joining us now is Armel Castellan, a warning preparedness meteorologist for Environment and Climate Change Canada. Good morning, Armel. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for being here to explain this all to us. So is this unusual, these temperatures that we've had the last couple of days? They, um, they've started to become unusual and they're about to get more unusual still. Of course, the peak is essentially today, tomorrow, Thursday, but it's not unusual to the point of it being historic like the heat dome of last year. So we expect heat warnings like this to come one to three times per summer. That's kind of a, a ballpark average. So we do see this discomfort uh, you know, it's partially dangerous, yes, for susceptible populations. We want to make sure we're taking care of those who are most vulnerable, but it is not the same level as something where we start to approach 40 degrees like we saw in Abbotsford, say, last year, late June. Right, but this is higher than normal. So what are the next couple of days going to look like? Do you see any of those higher temperatures coming our way? Well, the the, the, the quote-unquote extreme heat emergency call if we're heading towards what we saw last year or the only other example in recent memory is from late July 2009. Those values are not a part of this event. So we are not projecting Abbotsford to get to 40, 42 degrees like we saw last year or for parts of the Metro Vancouver to you know get up there into the mid to upper 30s. We're not quite at those values. We're talking about getting to 34, 35 today. Uh, inland, you know, of course, if you're closer to the Salish Sea, you know, English Bay and so on, you're going to, you know, be more moderate in that 27, 28 degree range. Uh, and again, repeatedly for uh, most of this week and very slowly getting off uh, the heat as we go through the weekend. So a lot of this is also to do with how long this event is. You know, what we saw in late June of this year was kind of like a two day wonder. Uh, where this is much longer. It's really lasting the better part of a week. Okay. So like you say, we tend to see these once or twice during the summer, but given that we are now heading into August, is this, do you think the last one we're going to see? Like what does our long-term forecast look like? 
Yeah, that's another good question. You know, the climatological um, averages or the statistics around when we should generally see our hottest temperatures is exactly right now. So we this is not that much of a surprise to see the temperatures go up to these kind of, quote, daily record temperatures. Um, certainly after the weekend into next week, we go right back down to seasonal averages for at least a week. And then we start getting into the second week of August. And so the, the, the statistics really don't lend themselves to seeing as hot of an event, but it is possible. So we'll just keep an eye out on the kind of the mid-range horizon uh, from the modeling perspective and make sure that we're alerting uh, British Columbians to any other potential heat that's coming. But yeah, the, the, the chances really taper off as we get into the second half of August. The days start to become a little bit shorter and, uh, and we start to see that hint of fall every once in a while. So how does, how does the summer rate then overall, Armel? We know that last summer was uh, way off the charts, right? Way off the scale in terms of our averages. But how does the summer look? Yeah, I would call the summer is much more kind of quote unquote typical because, um, you know, seeing a, a fairly early event in late June, you know, typically we have to wait till at least the first week of July for that to happen. So it was a little bit anomalous there. But to see, you know, two heat waves like this uh, is not out of the ordinary. Uh, we, of course, are expecting to see them more frequently and at a higher intensity as we go deeper into the 21st century. That's expected and very much based in science. But uh, at this point, I would call this summer relatively, um, you know, typical, you know, not too much rain in July, except for those first couple days where we did see almost the entire month of July of rain in a, in a single day in the case of Victoria and a couple other places on the South Coast. But all of those things are generally uh, within reason of, you know, what is typical. Okay, so, and, and you know, we did have a cool start to the summer too, didn't we? Which seemed atypical. Yeah, we certainly did. Uh, spring in particular and, and June, which for us is meteorological summer, was definitely on the cooler side and also wetter side. And that was why we had the whole storyline around the freshet or the spring melt be super delayed. And in fact, today, maybe ironically, one of the big public safety messages is around cold water because we're all going out camping, going to our local watering holes and jumping in, and you can get cold shock and cold incapacitation, which are not things you wanna suffer from, especially on a hot day when you're gonna shock your body in the cold. So it's, it's about wearing life jackets when we go out there. Oh, that is so interesting. Okay, you learn something new every time we talk to you, Armel. So <laughs> this week then, is this today is the day, right? Is it going to peak today? We expect it to be slightly cooler over the next couple of days? Yes, but I would put a caveat on that in the sense that uh, the dangers to human health and, and pets, and you know, the ecosystem as a whole is delayed from the peak of the heat. So last year, uh, you know, we might have had the, the peak of the heat on the 27th, 28th. Uh, 29th of June, but the, the deaths were continuing right until early July. And so that's why we want to kind of keep the pedal on the metal here, public messaging, you know, reach out to uh, people who live alone, who are elderly, who may be schizophrenic, other mental health uh, conditions um, that really need to have some eyes on them so that we keep them hydrated and in the cool. And then we can avoid any of those extra 
statistical deaths that we have no business uh, having uh, anywhere in this country, and especially not here on the south coast and into the southwest interior where the heat is going to be strongest. That is so true. All right. Thank you for that advice this morning, Armel. My pleasure. Take care. Appreciate that. As always, that's Armel Castellan, our warning preparedness meteorologist for Environment and Climate Change Canada, talking about the next couple of days. As he said, and said so well, today is expected to be the hottest. However, he always puts a caveat in there that you never know what's going to happen. But hopefully today is the hottest day. Uh, Watch out for the people that you know might be susceptible to heat exhaustion or just might need to get checked in on. Make sure their houses aren't too hot. There are cooling centers available in communities all over the South Coast. But the best way to find out which one is available in your area is to go onto the website of your local municipality or your city. They will have the list there and let you know what options are available to you. But I don't know, maybe hang out at the mall a little bit today, get some of that air conditioning in and don't exert yourself too much. It's a good excuse to just kind of take it easy today, I think too. And we've learned our lessons from last time, as Armel pointed out, is that we know that when it is incredibly hot, we need to kind of take a moment there, not exert ourselves too much, right? And we'll continue to follow this for the latest updates on what is happening with the heat, with the weather. Keep it tuned in right here.